0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Jackson Talks, everybody. With me, your host, Aaron Mashpitz, aka Jackson Stone. <clears throat> and this is episode 110. Wow, that's really cool. Uh, it's cool to say 110, but Annie, Brooke, welcome to the show.
1: Hey, thank you so much. Great to be on with you.
0: So before we really dive in into the work that you're doing, which is incredible, uh, I have one question to ask you before we get into all of that. And it's kind of the theme of Jackson talks. Everybody, uh, it's a question you probably get asked a lot, and you probably ask it a lot, but maybe you don't answer it honestly. And maybe we can answer it honestly here because uh, we have a little bit of time to chat and kind of get into some details about some things. But Annie, uh, how are you doing? Like, really, how are you doing?
1: You know, I am actually doing really well, and it's because I know how to. Reregulate when things are going bad. I just got slapped with a lawyer suit by a crazy neighbor, you know, so that would normally throw somebody off the deep end. But I was able to like think it through and handle it and I get my ducks in a row and I fell down and slammed my kneecap the other day, but I got it uh, all worked with and I do all my movement practices. So, you know, one of my things is it's like, can you be doing pretty dang well, no matter what's going on?
0: And hey, can you? Have you answered that question? Yeah,
1: I think you can. Yeah. And that's what I want to share with people is that there's a whole, you know, it's not just a mindset. You have to do some esca- excavation into your own reactivity and what happened to you. And, but, but there's ways to kind of, deal with that and 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 support your heart and be integrated so that life can go on
0: right you kind of have to be able to equip yourself with the skills to handle anything that life throws at you because it's so unpredictable and unexpected Uh, and you want to be able to handle that so you can still live a pretty good life as you say or a joyous life or an engaged life or a present life kind of regardless of um Everything else that might be happening, would you say that's true?
1: Oh, it's essential. You know, I'm always looking for how to help people thrive. Mm. You know, and thriving is—it's again, it's not just a mindset; it's a body mindset. Because if you're just doing all your mental thing, but you're not taking care of yourself physically, or you are still emotionally reactive, you have to work on all those levels of awareness, and then it becomes just how you are. Mm. You know, yeah. I call it tuning your dial.
0: Very cool, tuning your dial. So we'll start here then. If someone is trying to start tuning their dial, if they've never done it before, and that task feels very daunting to kind of get their mind, body, and spirit in order, uh, where might they start? Where's a good place to start?
1: The, I think the first place is to like, stop in your tracks. Mm. Because everybody, you know, wants to keep moving. And sometimes, or they may have depression. And that doesn't mean they're stopped in their tracks, it mean they've fallen in the big black hole. But the ability to stop in your tracks and pay attention, so that you're actually in relationship with what you feel, what you think, what you sense. And I know, you know, years ago in my early 20s, I had my house burned down, my partner became alcoholic, my animals were killed. And I was, I had to get a job on a fishing boat, you know, just to start earning some money again, because what, because everything was gone. And in that process, one of the things I did was I kept, oh my body i had to keep moving my body instead of just being worried in my mind so i had this physical activity of working on the fishing boat and you know part of it it'll sound odd but every four days i would sort of puke over the side rail because it got rock and rolly and i didn't know it at the time i learned later that there's ways you sort of get things out of your system that help you think more clearly. And I'm a body centered psychotherapist and we use movement tools that help people uh, reorganize physically as well as mentally. So I guess I would say, make sure you don't get frozen under the stress.
2: Hmm.
0: So it was, it was kind of a pain not kind of it was a painful event for you that kind of forced you to look at all of these things
1: absolutely overwhelming
0: i think it's i think it's that case for 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 pretty much everyone right it's like the for me it was that's why i started caring about mental health was it because i went through something really really painful the most painful thing i've ever gone through and i think it's the same way because pain is the the biggest motivator for for change but on the on the flip side of that I think it's important that we get people to be proactive about this stuff before something really bad happens, like we said. So they're equipped for the really bad thing because that is inevitable in life. You're gonna go through the really bad thing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And I don't know if your soul like forces you through that threshold, right? Right. I want you to wake up. But I think being equipped is so helpful. And you know, knowing what that even means. You know, and and so what are the components of self-care? You know, some of them are pretty basic, like good nutrition, sleeping, not drinking a lot, not doing a whole bunch of drugs, so that your brain actually can figure out your life. And then there's a whole set of things which has to do with how you were trained. And the biggest training ground is usually how you grew up. You know, my dad died when I was two and a half and that was a big training ground about how important it is to appreciate the people around you.
0: Was that your I mean, obviously that was your first experience with death early on, but did you have something later on that happened in your life that that kind of forced you to, to think about this stuff as well.
1: Well, I guess I would say in my adult life my first two four year relationships that the one, you know, where we built a log house, we had a water powered furniture business, we were sort of pioneers in Maine. Mm. And when all that fell, well, there was one point where I realized I'm doing all this, but I don't feel happy. Why not? And I realized it's because I didn't have good communication skills. I didn't know how to negotiate my needs in a relationship. I didn't know how to do something when my partner started drinking. You know, I was so young. I was like 19 doing all this and I didn't really know how to deal. And then years later, you know, I then I got a lot of skills. And then I was back in the training ground with another four-year relationship and my partner had an affair and I wasn't didn't know how to deal with that so you have to you know get the skills like one of them is communication skills and i don't know how many of your listeners their skills just you know keep going try harder that's not always what works sometimes you have to slow down reassess and get support for your mental health that's why we have therapists i've been a psychotherapist for 40 years and i've worked with um, gang youth i've worked with you know school kids i've worked with abused foster children and sexually abused children and then also families and adults and i've been in therapy myself getting support for the things i couldn't see Mm -hmm. you know and i think that ultimately once you're balanced enough you have you learn to look in the mirror and keep correcting your own life but it takes some support sometimes to really look in that mirror because it's too painful it's too scary you numbed out because there was stuff you didn't want to see as a kid you know some people grew up and you know their dad was beating their mom or Their mom was blowing up and creating havoc. And when that happens, your body and your mind get imprinted. One of my specialties is getting down to the precognitive memory, even stuff before you could think, that stores in the body tissues. And that won't metabolize, it won't heal in a certain way until you know what your story is.
0: Is that knowing what your story is? Is that what you define as your identity?
1: It's actually sometimes not Hmm. because people can make up identity beliefs that are inaccurate. And I was amazed to see that infants could make up an identity belief based on difficult experiences. I treated a I I, I work with all ages, and so I was working with a six year old whose parents brought her in because she was having certain kind of meltdowns in school. And it turns out she, she was born premature, which meant she suffered a lot of trauma before she could even think. She was alone at night in the hospital as a young infant she was getting a tube up her nose and pricked and prodded and that's invasive so she had the invasive experience in her body without sort of the protection when a baby feels protected by the dad or mom they're not you know lying in a hospital somewhere they're at home or they're on the mom's chest and this little girl brought a card in she made she was 6 and On every page, there was a picture of a little baby crying in an incubator, and it said, bad, bad baby. And I thought, what? Babies aren't bad. Then on the next page, bad baby. Then on the last page, I am such a bad girl. Now, that's heartbreaking, right? A little six-year-old thinking they're bad. When she had good parents and stuff, it wasn't like her parents were punitive or anything. So you gotta wonder where does that come from? And I really, I, I work a lot with sort of neuroscience and the brain map that we create through our lifetime. And so for her, she had a brain map of being, of I, I had to really ponder this, Aaron, and It was like. Why does it why does someone think this way?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And I thought about, well, bad things were happening to her. She had no locus of control. Infant experience is what what we call existential, which means it doesn't have a context. Like a baby doesn't know there's a today and there's a tomorrow, mm. right? They don't know. That, you know, until they figure out object relations, they don't know if mom goes away that she's not disappeared. And it's just the way the brain works until it develops certain stages. So when it's existential, the whole body gets flooded with the sensations. That's why people can fall into a depression. They get flooded with sensations, and she thought you know, it was a way for, it was actually a brilliant nervous system strategy to organize the chaos of her experience. Because she, by treating herself as bad, I call it self-attack thinking. And a lot of adults have self-attack thinking. A lot of teens have self-attack thinking and children. And what it is on a nervous system level, you've heard Aaron, like a fight flight, right? Yeah. Yeah. And so the fight response, or the runaway response, is means we could get ourselves to safety. But if there's too much chaos, and an infant can't run away, by self attacking, she's telling her brain, the fight response is awake. Mm. And then, because she doesn't really know she exists without the reflection of the mom or the dad. I mean, they, they know sort of, but it's being seen with these things we call mirror neurons in our eyes. That like, I can see you, you feel seen, I feel seen. Something in us relaxes. So for her, she didn't have that support. So she had to take charge. And so she helped herself know she existed by attacking herself it's a kind of interesting logic
0: right so so sometimes creating a story is the only way to kind of protect ourselves from what we may have gone through
1: absolutely right yep
0: and so when you're working with people you're trying to rewrite that story you're trying to then change their what they how they view themselves
1: yes how they view themselves and to bring compassion and context back to the brain.
2: Because
1: mm-hmm. once the brain has a context and realizes, well, this moment in time is actually over, I'm not still stuck in the incubator, um, it will actually start to relax, especially if you work with the emotions of the, the sadness of that infant or the grief or the fear. Because what happens with emotions there's a book I don't know if you've read it called molecules of emotion. Mm-mm. And it says that our emotions actually are, are molecules they're chemicals and when we go into a freeze response those emotions don't process. So i've been working with adults who go back and they actually process their infant emotions one lady i worked with she taught meditation and she had a tremor in her neck and turns out she was born with us she was had a forceps which are those tools that have to pull the baby out Mm. makes a lot of pressure and we figured out by going slowly enough for her to pay attention to her body and her sensations that she was all curled up around to go out one way and when the forceps came in they pulled her out in the other direction so they basically stretched all her little baby ligaments and over time she was in her 60s when she worked with me her compensation had sort of exhausted itself and so her neck tremored but as she went back and really started to she started she actually felt the rage of that moment in time and when she processed all that her neck neck tremor went away wow it's kind of fascinating i mean it it, sounds really weird doesn't it
0: yeah but it it just goes to show that everything is interconnected and that the mind and body is is bi-directional right the mind the mind can affect the body and the body can affect the mind that's why obviously the work that you do integrates those two um to heal the kind of the whole system uh,
1: yeah that's my that's my passion
0: yeah i um i was reading something about addiction and, it, and it's kind of similar to, to what you were speaking about is that um the, at the point you time you're really trying to uh cure this disease of addiction it's very important to Go back and and thank yourself because the reason you started doing this something is because you were hurting from something else. And so right. and so that thing probably kept you alive long enough because you could have, you could have chosen another choice, which could, which could have been suicide, right? Which could have been that ultimate choice. But instead mm-hmm. you made this decision to start drinking or do drugs or gambling, which then obviously turned made your life really bad. But at that point, it saved you. And so
1: exactly that's the that's the, um, you know, double bind mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's so interesting because what we do in our brain in the very primitive brain is we recreate what's familiar. So people don't think much about this, but if a mother is knocked out with anesthesia when she's giving birth, that baby, Gets the message to escape under pressure. Like they can't, you know, make it through difficulty. They have to be drugged. So some people end up with an addiction that they didn't even start.
0: Wow. Yeah, so it is really always kind of circling all the way back to its roots and being compassionate and thankful to that self and then trying to heal it all the way to the person you've become or, or uh, are right now, or who you wanna become, or who you potentially could become if you start to kind of integrate and heal all of those parts.
1: Exactly, and there's a part of the journey where there's some accountability.
2: Mm.
1: You know, compassion is important and understanding, you know, really having the tenderness for you did the best you could And then there's the other level for change that actually is behavior change. Mm -hmm. And if people don't do that part, they end up on what I call the power triangle, which is victim, persecutor, rescuer. Mm, So then they could feel as they're addicted, that they're the victim to the substance or bad things were happening so you know they can excuse their behavior
2: Mm. even though
1: it hurts them and one of the things i have a little ebook called power struggle behavior that really goes into this in depth and you see it with kids and their parents you see it in couples dynamics sometimes you see it in siblings dynamics but if you are a person anyone listening who notices they tend to get in power struggles they tend to feel like the victim or they tend to rescue other people or they tend to dominate or persecute the situation that is a very um you know how like i have this little clay thing here it's like a triangle and this is like the most stable geometric shape and when you're when you identify the power triangle, victim, persecutor, rescuer, it's going to spin internally and externally. You're, it's hard to just sort of dismantle it because it's such a strong force field of emotional uh, things coming together. But, but you have to learn how to actually step back and step off the power triangle. So I would say to your listeners, Pause in your tracks again.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Right. Notice, oh, I'm treating myself like a victim. Or, oh, I'm making that person who is mad at me for my abuse, you know, my substance abuse, the persecutor. When they could be just a friend saying, hey, you're ruining your life. I care about you. Right. It's what we do in our brain so you want to really not and substances are the rescue by nature yes too much pressure and you needed escape but then you have to go back and fill in the gaps you know of understanding of right choice you know I call I have a course I lead called best choice best action
0: best choice best action
1: yeah because it is you do have to make choices absolutely right and there we are and life makes choices too and sometimes we don't even know why yeah but even in challenging circumstances it's when you start tuning your dial and by that i mean emotionally adjusting when you start to sense yourself going off like you're collapsing or you're getting reactive or you're blaming other people or you're blaming yourself you have to rebalance emotionally and then physically you also have to rebalance like some people they'll you know they'll encounter an obstacle and they'll just give up mm. i call that collapsing well you have to adjust the physical sensation to not do that or some people will you know, get real tight and try harder and push themselves and that can be damaging. So you have to adjust physically and then you also have to adjust mentally. What are you telling yourself in this moment? And is that helping anything? Yeah. So it's kind of fun, it becomes like a game.
0: Absolutely, yeah. Like from, from what I'm gathering from what you said, very simply put, I would say step number 1 is is clearly to be aware of what's happening, right? Um you said it in a much more elegant way, but you know, first you yeah, want to you want to become aware. Yeah. The, the the second step is to accept whatever you're feeling, right? Whatever it is you need to adjust, you have to then accept that and then the third step obviously is get into action, whether that be mentally, physically, spiritually, um so I mean, I think that's that's how you kind of order it. Obviously, you have a, a much more in-depth approach, but for for kind of a broader view of it, I think those are kind of the three steps.
1: yeah and and the part of it is um there's something called tissue tone. What that means is we've kind of talked about it already, but it's a term from sort of infant development and occupational kind of therapy where if a baby's high tone, they're all tight and they won't relax into the mother or the dad they'll be more fussy or if they're low tone there they could be lethargic and they literally like a premature baby is often low tone Mm. because it didn't get the full chance to be spring-loaded in utero you know it was too small in there so it didn't get the, the, the growth while it folded in its arms and legs because there wasn't enough space. And so that physically, full-term babies, they physically get more of a spring loading. And so a preemie baby is a little floppy and you hold that baby up and they have trouble lifting their head. They don't have the same tone as a full-term baby. So when a person notices their own tone, you can stop. Like I would call that, you know, it's, to keep things simple, you know, is it high tone or low tone? Mm. How do you get back to the middle? Right. And then in your if you're in a conversation and you're getting all heated up, how do you get back to the middle? Or if you shut down and go quiet, that's low tone. That doesn't help a conversation. And these are, you know, habits that are related so much to the body because babies have what's called primitive reflexes, where you touch a baby's hand and they grab. And we can reflexively be somebody who tends to withdraw, or we can reflexively be somebody who tends to push out at others. And you want to know that about yourself and work with it so it's not a muscular habit
2: Mm.
1: or an emotional defense strategy
0: you're constantly trying to to tune your dial to get back to the center right yep and and kind of on that uh kind of on the subject of children Uh when i think about children and i think about myself as a child i think about play
2: Oh, about yeah.
0: Play and I and I and I read some stuff about you talking about the importance of play in the work you do with kids, uh, especially in your in the theater program. And yes. coming from a guy who uh, was in theater growing up, I dressed up as the White Power Ranger my whole childhood, <laughs> and then I became a professional wrestler, got a pretend name, and then played dress up basically for the last six years. Right. Uh, I think it's brilliant. Imagination, creativity uh, partnerships, communication, all of that stuff. Um, and so, yeah, I just, no question. They're just really thoughts on, on play and theater and how it integrates into the work that you do.
1: Uh, one of the things I would see often in my therapy office, parents would come with, with their, in, with their kids and I would watch them interact. And I would realize that parent doesn't know how to play hmm. or even more sad that child doesn't know how to play and so I wrote a book called awakening the creative mind because I in my 20s after I had all that trauma you know I was doing anything I could to get myself out of a freeze response or out of worry and I started studying improvisation and that led me to studying acting and improvisation it it messes with your brain in a good way yeah you know, and and I was so grateful that I studied for five years with this master uh, solo performance and she would just get out on stage without any kind of, you know, um, script or anything, and she would just start with a movement and that movement would turn into a whole character and story that was fascinating. Wow. And so by doing that with my brain, it gave me the spontaneity to meet a kid where they were. Mm. And lots of times, you know, you can get exhausted working with children as a therapist cuz cuz you're running around chasing them in a way. But if you know how to meet them where they are and give them healthy containment, they actually relax and you can get down to what's troubling them or what they need. But people who don't play don't make good therapists, really. Mm because the, for in my opinion because i'm such a body centered the work i teach is all about somatic embodiment and using your body mind and without that spontaneity that is going to come through the body it can just be a mental processing You know, and I love your story about the white ranger guy, you know, (laughs) the wrestler guy. Yeah. Right. And then you have to sometimes work with people who have sort of created a false identity.
0: Yes, I know that. Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah. And then you have to help them understand why, just like we were talking about earlier. And what's the hidden need underneath that? So it, it is it's like a, a, a complex you know puzzle that each person ultimately has to figure out in themselves in order to feel confident and kind and resourced and like they're a good enough person you know and i think there's a place where the soul can shine through when you actually meet who you are and when you have to clean it up a bit
2: yeah hmm.
0: the the identity piece has is, is always been very interesting for me because uh professional wrestling is basically filled with people pretending to be something else right because we're putting on a show we're entertainers um yes. and and just somewhere in the middle uh a lot of us just get caught on who is at who actually am i of Uh, course right and it's very difficult because in one you're pretending to be this person who gets cheered and adored in front of fans and then you go home and your partner is telling you to do these like mundane chores but you feel like you shouldn't have to because millions (laughs) of people love you
1: exactly Uh, right and it's just
0: like you know because i i define identity as uh repeated beingness so it's not what you're doing it's you know how you're showing up like what are your core values do you have them are you living through them so it doesn't matter what your profession may be um you can dress up as anything you want you could be an actor a wrestler a mom whatever but your identity is who you're being and your being is through your core values and so I i love
1: that because that's sort of turning it around yeah you know and, you know, one of the things you're talking about is what I call grandiosity.
0: Mm. Yeah, there's a lot of that in wrestling.
1: <laughs> yeah, because there's even in the nervous system, I'm I'm such a geek. You know, I love studying neuroscience and making it into living movement science. And one of the things in the nervous system is what we call dissociation. That's a psychological term that means You got overwhelmed, and basically you didn't stay in your body,
2: Mm.
1: you know. And and grandiosity. I've identified about four different kinds of dissociation, and one kind is that super high creativity. People who fragment into this creative, 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 they actually want to coalesce back into an integrated self. And then there's people who withdraw into a cave inside, you know, and they have to learn how to actually come out to the mouth of the cave and relate to the world again. And then there's some people who like hang out in a zone, you know, they could almost be zoned out or in a heavy space or something like that. And then the one that's grandiosity is the hardest on the brain because it can happen you know the the our nervous system has healthy recreation and play and then it also has healthy rest and digest and when we have that in balance we go from one to the other without a problem but when it gets to the extremes instead of play it's fight or flight and instead of rest and digest it's play dead mm. And so when, and this took me a while to figure out too, I learned this with a four year old cause she had this grandiosity and I call it sneaky power. And you know, you'll see it in adults, they have sneaky power. Have you ever felt that with somebody? Y-
0: yes, I have. It's like, I-, I don't know if I can describe it, but it's like, I don't know, I don't know. Um... Like, I know, I think I know what you mean.
1: Yeah, you kind of feel like you're being manipulated. Yeah, okay,
0: or... kind of like, uh, cause when, when I heard the word grandiose, like the first thing that came to my mind was like uh, a grandiose narcissist.
1: Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. And
0: so um, that they kind of have that way of manipulating you, you know, feeling like everything is your fault. They want to be center stage. Um, and so that's kind of what my mind went to. I don't know if that's specifically what you're referring to, but, I
1: would but. say this would be not as developed as a sort of a personality disorder like mm. a narcissism this would be accessible to a lot more people
0: uh, okay it's
1: like if you're overwhelmed and you go into a freeze response the brain doesn't like it they want you to run away or fight but you've frozen so that freeze is a portal to a diff, to that you know rest and digest side that goes too far because it goes all the way to play dead mm. and, and you've seen this with the animal videos you know where some predator prey some prey animals like a rabbit you a predator will grab them and they'll just play dead
0: right okay
1: and then they drop them and go off and then they shake themselves back alive and with this with humans that playing dead is like when everything feels to the brain, like this body is shutting down. It actually thinks it's gonna die. And so then I think what happens, this is my own geeky neuroscience, is that the body's shutting down, the brain doesn't like it. And the brain does a last ditch rush of adrenaline, wake up. And so I think at that moment is when the grandiosity happens. And it can be spiritualized. You know, I um, I mean, no, I, uh, baptism is in many ways a real blessing. So don't get me on the, don't take this in the wrong way. However, the mechanism of the underwater baptism, where they would hold people underwater until they flailed, like you see old movies of that, and then they there, they flail, and finally they let them up, and they see God.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's I think it's that rush of adrenaline that actually opens up the brain for mystic vision, or it opens up the brain to be all-powerful. I've even seen some spiritual teachers who are highly charismatic be actually using sneaky power without knowing it. Huh. And it's very seductive. People want a guru, right? But ultimately, you're the guru, right? You have to take care of your life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. You're you're your best coach, right? You're your best coach because you at some point will know clearly will know yourself better than anyone you have. You hopefully you have the best relationship with yourself because you've cultivated that you've learned that you've developed that you spend the most time with yourself. Uh, mm-hmm. But that's why you hire a coach, a therapist, um, to show you what you've been blind to, to get down to the root cause of things, to allow you to equip you with the skills. Right? They're uh, they're not you're not telling anyone what to do, but you're allowing them to see things that they already possess that they couldn't see, and then you're you're giving them the permission to do it. Right? You're like, you can do this. Right? Here are the skills. Yeah, here so, are the so- tools
1: you're giving them, them the permission and sometimes you're holding space while they unwrap their grief yeah you know or they unwrap the internalized fear because those things are hard to sit with on your own mm-hmm. until you someone shows you kind of how and holds the space enough consciousness space to help you
0: yeah in a, in a very uh, non-judgmental way, I think is also extremely important.
1: But I think so too. They mm-hmm. can't be though, just your best friend. Right. It has to be a little bit of challenge in there. If you're messing up.
0: Yes, of course, absolutely. Someone has to, to call you out to hold you accountable because you are responsible for yourself, right? You're responsible for your behaviors and your actions. Um, a lot of the stuff that may have happened to you was not your fault. Course not, right? Some of it may have been your fault, some of it may not have been your fault. You have to look at that kind of stuff and be and be very honest with, with what your current circumstances are and, mm. and where you want to go from there by taking responsibility of that. And and a support system is great, very important. Community, good relationships are important for that. But someone who's really gonna be there and say, this is this is what it is, and this is how you have to accept reality and this is where you can move from
1: yeah i think that's really instrumental i know it was in my life i had infant trauma myself because mm-hmm. i was in an incubator and you know didn't get touched for 17 days and probably dissociated and uh, i was a high arousal temper tantrum kid wow. my mom didn't quite know what to do with me but now you know through my studies i understand how the nervous system works and those kids who are struggling you can do movement games that help change the brain that really bring them back into relationship with their own body so they can be in relationship with others
0: yeah that's beautiful to quote to quote you this is your quote (laughs) Uh, (laughs) change the brain to change the pain
1: Yeah. yeah And I think mm-hmm. basically
0: that was, that was the theme of kind of what we talked about for the last 40 minutes. So that was really, that was really great.
1: Good. And I just want to remind people what you have already said that it's not just a mental activity. It has to involve the heart. It mm-hmm. has to involve solitude and figuring it out and interdependence.
0: Yeah, it's all very important. And hard and very hard
1: yeah it is hard work it is the ninja warrior advanced degree program
2: yeah
0: (laughs) but just like any in martial arts right over time through practice through your professor through a teacher through diligent work you become a master yes and it may take 15 years it may take 20 years it may take five but you do become a master and that's really special, and I think that trajectory is is really important for people to understand,
1: yeah, and then they get most masters end up sort of giving back,
0: oh, yeah, absolutely, you
1: know, and that's the beauty of it all,
0: yeah, it's this beautiful cycle of of life, I guess, so yeah, well, well
1: Aaron, what a pleasure to meet you,
0: yeah, I have one more question for you, okay, to wrap this up to put a nice little bow on top of this beautiful conversation. so if you could put a billboard up and millions of people would see that billboard every day what would you put on that billboard
1: boy that's a great question
0: i stole it from tim ferris he's the other podcaster. Okay. <laughs> so i didn't come up with it i can't claim the question but i, I, right? I did really love it so i'm gonna i'm using
1: uh uh-huh. so one of the things you know about billboards is people are going pretty fast as mm-hmm. they go buy it right so it could be change the brain to change the pain but people might take that mentally so it might have to have an image of like an infant a heart uh you know it just might have to have those human image that shows that we need each other yes so maybe that's what i do i'd have a visual and the that little slogan on top.
0: Beautiful, I think that's fantastic. And then before I let you go, where can can people find all of your work that you're doing?
1: Uh, Thanks for asking. I have a website, it's called Annie Brook, and Brook is B-R-O-O-K, no S, no E, anniebrook.com. And I'm launching this fall a therapy training program. So anyone out there, I've also opened it to coaches, I think. (laughs) because it has to be people who want to hold the depth, but uh, it's mm-hmm. it's starting up this fall and I have six different topic-specific courses, all the way from things like adoption imprint, birth trauma, complex trauma, play, play therapy, just a lot of ways you can actually help people.
0: That's beautiful, that's beautiful. Yeah,
1: so just go to com or go to Instagram. Mm-hmm. and go to Annie Brook therapy yep. or go to Facebook and go to the Brook Institute or I have a YouTube channel or you can also find me on uh, on LinkedIn. LinkedIn.
0: Yep, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, all all of those um all of those links will be in the show notes. They'll be in the email that we send out. And yeah. So, if you if you just listen to this and you listen to it because uh you follow Annie, you can go to jacksonstone.net and you can sign up for the newsletter and you'll get the, the email with the episode directly and all that good stuff and future episodes. But thank you, thank you so much for, for bringing on the show, for sharing your wisdom, um, for doing the work that you do and, uh, and for agreeing to talk to me.
1: Hey, it was fun and uh, the same back to you, right? We're all with that idea of how do we help each other? How do we keep growing? How do we keep falling in love in a good way Absolutely. with humanity? Yeah. yeah. Thank you so much.
0: You're very welcome. Thanks everyone for watching or listening. Take care of yourselves, and uh, we'll see you next time. Cheers.